0: And uh, Raul was here last week, but we will get back to where we were in Matthew chapter 26. And uh, we're not going to finish the chapter today, but we do have a, a, a nice-sized section, I hope, that will be edifying to us this morning. Um, and if you turn to Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 36, I'll read through it, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. <clears throat> it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch only one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man... Is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayers at hand. <clears throat> and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the others of the people. Now, his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, Put your sword in its place, for all take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot pray to my Father, and he will provide with me more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out against, against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled, that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we just ask you to administer to us this morning through this text, Lord, as we see you are in a Lord deep distress, Lord. and Lord, you've come there with twelve, Lord, and you're going to leave there all alone, Lord. Lord, you're going to be in a very difficult situation, dear Lord, and again, you've done it all for us, Lord. So Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you would use this text, Lord, to minister to our hearts, Lord, and that my words be your words, Lord, and the thoughts that you have put on my hearts would be thoughts for the people's hearts here as well, Lord. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a question for everyone here this morning as we get into our study. Who here wants to do the will of our Father in Heaven? Who here wants to do the will of our Father in Heaven? Right, I see a couple of hands. Anybody else? Okay. You don't have to raise your hands if you want. But who here wants that? Who here? See, as Christians, we should all want the will of our Father in Heaven. In the Lord's Prayer, we all know it. Jesus told us to pray, Our Father who art in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is telling us to pray for our Father's will to be done. That's what God desires of us. The next thing we need to remember is that the Bible is very clear that each of us have a calling from God. Each of you have a calling from God. God has given you a specific calling. And when we fulfill that calling, we are bringing the Father's will here on earth. You're doing what you've called to do. Jesus himself said on a number of occasions, I have come to do the will of the Father who sent me. That's why he came to earth. See, the greatest thing we can accomplish in life is fulfilling the will of the Father. That's what we can do. And we all want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Right? Amen? I want to hear those words. And we should. But sometimes When we think about fulfilling the will of God, we need to consider all that goes with that. See, we think we know, but the Bible tells us what we need to know. What do we really need to know about fulfilling the will of the Lord? See, unfortunately, the picture we paint fulfilling the will of the Lord is not the picture that the Bible paints. See, we wrongly think at times that fulfilling the will of God shouldn't be that difficult. After all, it's His will, right? (laughs) It shouldn't be that hard. It's his will. He wants it done, right? It shouldn't be that difficult. He wants his will done. See, but the Bible seems to indicate the opposite. Listen to how Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 through 9. He says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me. Right? What's Paul saying? Paul's telling the Corinthians that a great opportunity for ministry has opened for him at Ephesus. A great door has opened up for me. But listen to what Paul also says. For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And there are many adversaries. So God was opening up the door for Paul to minister to do his will, but guess what? Many adversaries. Many and I do think I understand what Paul's speaking about here. In reality, you know, reality, what we live in. When I came out here to Staten Island, the, the scripture the Lord had given me was the Macedonian call. If You know, from the book of Acts, where uh, they were praying and they were just asking for somebody to come over here. And Paul got the vision and he went over to Macedonia. And that's, that was my scripture verse. Okay, people here at Staten Island at that time were calling. Hey, we want somebody to come out. I'll go, you know. But ever since I came out from day one, you know what I have had? Nothing but trouble. (laughs) Nothing but trouble. And just recently, my beautiful and lovely wife was reading through the book of Acts. And she says, do you remember what took place after Paul went to Macedonia? I said, no, I really don't. It's been a while since I've been in the book of Acts. And she read to me that after Paul and Silas went to Macedonia, that they were being flogged and seized and thrown into prison. I was like, wow, I didn't read that part of the passage. I should have thought about it more clearly before I used that scripture. (laughs) So now all that's taking place in the ministry is kind of making sense a little bit more. There's great adversaries. And that's what we see with Jesus this morning. See, Jesus came to fulfill the will of his Father, but it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to cost him his very life in doing the will of the Lord. Amen? Let me just give a quick review. It's been a couple of weeks where we've been at. Last time we were together, we left off with Jesus and the disciples celebrating the Passover, which we now refer to as the Last Supper. <clears throat> and as these last days of Jesus start to unfold, we're seeing that things are getting very difficult for Jesus right now. We start to look at last week. Jesus, Judas, rather, is on his way to betray him. Peter is going to deny him. And all the rest of the disciples are going to forsake him and abandon him. And all these things are taking place because he wants to do the will of the Father. That's why he's having all these troubles. See, in doing the will of the Father, Jesus is going to be betrayed, denied, abandoned, rejected, lied about, abused, mocked, humiliated, scourged, spit on, eventually hung on a cross between two thieves, where he'll be mocked some more, even until his final breath. That's what he's going to go through. And what makes this even more unbelievable is that Jesus did not do one single thing wrong. Not one. Jesus is the Lamb without spot or blemish, the perfect sacrifice to God. Jesus didn't break the law in any way. He didn't lie or cheat or mistreat anyone in any way. He did not deserve one ounce of punishment he got. He didn't deserve it. None of it. However... Everything he went through in fulfilling the will of the Father, he went through not for himself, but for us. He went through all that he went through for you and I because he loved us so much. He died that we would live. He suffered that we would be saved. His pain is our gain. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to think about this morning. Yes. What Jesus went through in fulfilling the will of the Father. Now let's dig into our text. Where am I? Hello? Okay. I'm not going to read through it again, but I'll just read verse 36. Then Jesus came to the place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit there, sit here while I go and pray over there. The first point we're going to look at this morning here is the suffering and the difficulty in doing the will of the Father. The first point this morning, the suffering and the difficulty in doing the will of the Father. Jesus has come to this place called Gethsemane. He's going to go and pray to the Father about doing his will. Luke tells us in his gospel that this is a place that Jesus would often go to. And that's, reason, that's probably why Judas was probably able to find him so readily because Jesus was always accustomed to going to this area, uh, this Garden of Gethsemane, to pray to his father. Now this garden is just east of the temple area in Jerusalem. It's across the ravine of the Brook Kidron. It's on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives surrounded by ancient olive trees. Outside the temple, many rich people had just Gardens of olive trees, and they're still there to this day. You can go there in Israel and see them, you know, but that was there. Gethsemane means olive press. These olives from the neighborhood were crushed for their oil, so too the Son of God will be crushed there. So now as Jesus comes to this place, he tells the disciples, What? I'm exceedingly sorrowful and deeply distressed. Verse 37. He's in sorrow, Jesus. One commentator said that in the Greek, this word is expressive of the greatest sorrow imaginable. Jesus is going through the greatest sorrow imaginable. The Amplified Bible says it this way, Then he said to them, My soul is very sad and deeply grieved, so that I am almost dying of sorrow. That's where Jesus is at right now. So right from the outset, we see that in doing the will of the Father, that it's affecting Jesus to his very core. Sorrow to his innermost being in doing the will of the Father. That's where he's at. So what does he do? Because it's very difficult, he comes to his Father and he prays in this garden. He's praying. In the Gospel of Luke, again, just trying to tie the whole picture together. Luke, who was a physician, tells us of what else was taking place in this garden. Jesus went in there to pray. Matthew tells us he went and prayed three times. But Luke tells us something very interesting. Luke says that Jesus was in such great agony that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And this is a real medical condition. It's called hematidrosis. Hopefully that's what I'm saying at once. <laughs> hematidrosis. I think that's close, but whatever. But what takes place is that there's when you're in such deep distress in your soul, and you're in sorrow, that the blood vessels around your eye areas, they start to rupture. And then they mix in with your sweat. And then when you start to sweat, it's like you're literally sweating great drops of blood. And this has happened on a number of occasions. It's a true medical fact. So at this moment, Jesus is being pushed to the absolute limit of human agony and distress the absolute limit of what a man can take. And Isaiah 53 verse 3 and 4 says, "He is despised and rejected by a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him; he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows." That's why Isaiah tells us about Jesus. And what did Jesus get in return for what he's going through? Isaiah continues, he says, Yet we esteemed him stricken by God and afflicted. See, Jesus went through all he went through, yet we, you and I, esteemed him smitten and stricken by God, when in reality, we are the ones smitten and stricken by God. And talk about a kick in the face for doing a good act, right? It's a kick in the face. We esteemed him, stricken and smicken by God. But that's what we did. That's what the world does. So Jesus is in this place right now. His soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And yet, we're only at the very beginning of Jesus' physical and emotional suffering. We're just at the beginning. We're just opening up the door. And it's going to get a thousand times worse for Jesus. It's going to get worse. See, it's one thing for the disciples to forsake Jesus, which they will. But it's another different level for the Father to forsake Him, which is what's going to take place. The Father said in the Old Testament, New Testament, He would never leave us nor forsake us. But who's He going to forsake? His Son. That's what Jesus is going to experience. See, Jesus came to this earth to save us. We needed a Savior. Amen? But he didn't avoid the suffering and sorrow that comes with the human condition. He didn't avoid it. Because we see here that Jesus is entering into the suffering and sorrow with you and I. The difficulties we go through. Jesus didn't just speak about pain. He was willing to feel the pain. To feel it on our behalf. To suffer as we suffer. To sorrow as we sorrow to go through it all, to put himself through such agony that he sweat great drops of blood for us in doing the will of the Father. Now again, how many of us have really taken into account the sorrow and difficulty of doing the will of God? Have we thought about it? The difficulty in doing the will of the Lord? Contemplated it? What he's really called us to? Jesus has already told us in the Gospel of Matthew that we're to be on a narrow road, right? It's not fun being on a narrow road, is it? Because everybody else is on a broad road and they mock you for being on a narrow road, right? It's the reality of it. Jesus told us our enemies will be in our own household. You could love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and everybody else hates Him and hates you as a result of it. And they make your life difficult because you love Jesus. That's what He told us what would take place. He also says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Is this world friendly towards you as a Christian? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's what Jesus told us. Yet yeah, we don't seem to make the connection in that in doing the will of God. That if the world hates you, what do you think it's going to be like trying to do the will of the Father in heaven? It's not going to be easy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 16-17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. If we are children of God with and heirs with Christ, we're going to suffer with Him. If indeed the Spirit is in you, you will suffer. And again, many of us as Christians love the Apostle Paul. We all look up to him and We see him as being a great example of Christianity, and many of us want to be like the Apostle Paul. Do we not? Don't you want to live like the Apostle Paul? Man, just be bold like he was, just do everything that he did? I do. I absolutely do. But we need to think about what God said to him when God first called him. Remember in Damascus Road? Listen to what God said to Paul in Acts 9, verse 16. Jesus said, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Who would answer the call then? (laughs) I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So right from the get-go, Paul is thrown into ministry, and what's he told he's going to do? Suffer. That's what he's told. It's going to be difficult. Paul was called to suffer many things in doing the will of Jesus. And we read the New Testament, see that Paul did suffer. Tremendously, in the book of Acts and Second Corinthians, we see that he went through from his own countrymen and perils and fasting over and naked. Often so they beat him, they whipped him, everything. And Paul also tells us that it has been granted to us to suffer for Jesus' sake. It's been granted to you and I to suffer for Jesus' sake. See, we can become discouraged in following Jesus if we don't remember that we're going to suffer in doing the will of God. You're going to suffer. If you want to follow Jesus, you will suffer. Some will suffer more. Some will suffer less. But you will all suffer because it's not easy. It's going to be difficult. uh, Again, I like studying and looking at those who went before us in the past uh, on the Christian faith because it can be encouraging to read of those who've lived before us. And one of my favorites is Adoniram Judson. I spoke about him many times. But he was one of the first group of missionaries to ever leave America, Adoniram Judson and another uh, gentleman. And he felt the call to go to Burma, to India at this time. And Adoniram Judson understood the idea of suffering and following Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said in a letter he wrote to his future father-in-law. It's a letter asking consent for his wife to marry him. Listen to this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, To see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influences of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with a crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall round through her Savior from the heathen state through her means from eternal woe and despair? Pretty good proposal letter, huh? <laughs> What'd you do if you got that from a guy who wanted to take your daughter? and be like, I don't think so. But he understood the suffering that was following Jesus Christ. And if you read Adonai Judson's account, they suffered greatly. And I'm not going to go into it here because it's, it's, it's heavy. But one of the last things Judson ever said was, how few there are who die so hard. How few there are who die so hard. In other words, how few will really count the cost and go for it. And that's what Jesus is going through. Now as we look at Jesus in the garden, as he's are going through this great ordeal fulfilling the Father's will, we take notice that something is happening here. If we notice that Jesus is praying, he's praying. We read it. Read it again. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply stressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, a little farther fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, "Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this kept pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is praying now. In fact, he's trying to exhort the disciples to pray right now, but they're more interested in dreams and visions than prayers right now. <laughs> they're sleeping. See, but we really need to notice with prayer... And in doing the will of God is that, unfortunately, when we think about prayer and doing the will of God, we've been taught many misconceptions. See, too often we think prayer is a way out of suffering and difficulty. Right? See, but if we look at what's taking place right now, Jesus is going to suffer even though he's praying. Tremendously. He's going to suffer even though he's praying. The first thing, is prayer important? Absolutely. We are called to pray. We should pray. Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus Jesus didn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. And prayer is a vital component of the Christian's life. We should be praying. And throughout the entire Bible, we are told how important prayer is, and that God will do great and mighty things through prayer. Amen? I believe it. I believe it. That God wants to answer prayers. However, prayer does not guarantee us we will not have difficulty and sorrow in doing the will of God. It does not guarantee it. It doesn't guarantee it. See, what is very interesting in the life of Jesus is that he only heard from his father on a couple of occasions while he was here on earth. At the baptism, he heard his father speak from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, the father said essentially the same thing. However, here in the garden, We see, Jesus is crying to the Father. In fact, three times he prays. And the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus prayed with vehement cries and tears, yet his Father doesn't say a word. Not a word. See, Jesus prays to his Father in this difficult hour, and all he hears is silence. Have you ever been there? Praying, crying out to God, and what do you hear? Nothing. See, we think at times that through our prayers, our problems will go away. We see very clear here with Jesus, they do not go away. They don't always go away through prayer. Obviously, nobody prays better than Jesus ever prayed, right? You think you can pray better than Jesus? I don't think so. Yet we see that his difficulty and sorrow are not going away. In fact, after this prayer session, things are not going to get better for Jesus, they're going to get worse. Have you ever been there? Again, think about some biblical characters from the past. Joseph. Don't we think Joseph prayed when he was wrongly accused and thrown into the dungeon? You think he prayed? Absolutely. When the baker and butler were released, he didn't say, Hey guys, see you later. Don't worry about me down here. Everything's okay. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, Remember me. In other words, get me out of here. He prayed. Don't you think Abraham prayed while he waited for Isaac to be born? Absolutely. But how long did it take? 25 years. David. We know from the Psalms that David prayed while King Saul chased him. Yet it took 13 years till he was finally crowned king. Paul. Nobody prayed more than Paul. Yet despite Paul's fantastic prayer life, he went through very difficult trials. It's not going to be easy doing the will of the Lord. I can say that I prayed for hours on and at times while I was and am going through very difficult trials yet the circumstances didn't seem to change not one not one See we really need to think about the aspect of praying that we don't think about too often is that one of the aspects of prayer is that it's meant to design is designed to align our will with our father's will Prayer is meant to design align our will with our Father's will. See, one of the sure signs that you are maturing in your faith is that your prayer life goes from "Not my will be done, but Thy will be done." That shows signs that you're maturing, that you're growing, that you're changing. Again, listen to Jeremiah. He was a prophet called of God, and he's going through very difficult in ministry. Listen to how. Jeremiah responds to the difficulty he's going through because of the will of God. He's called to go speak to the people, God told them. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 9, verses 7-9. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I have prevailed. I am in derision daily, everyone mocks me. Good ministry, huh? For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord has made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak of him anymore in his name. So Jeremiah's going out there. He's preaching. God told him to preach. And they're mocking him. He's like, I'm not going to speak about God anymore. I'm not going to tell anybody about you anymore, God. It's too difficult. Everybody hates me and they mock me. I'm not speaking anymore, Lord. That's what he's saying. But Jeremiah was growing. And listen to what he said. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. That's a maturing heart. It was difficult. Nobody wanted to hear what Jeremiah had to said, but God's Word was burning in his heart. He couldn't hold it back. And that's a maturing heart. So Jesus is asking the Father here, is there any other way? Is there any way? Because he knows the way is going to be difficult. Jesus knows. Jesus is going to experience things he never experienced before. He'll be forsaken by his Father. He'll be made sin. He will suffer the cup of God's wrath, and he will experience pain, suffering, and death. See, Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father. That's why he came. But Jesus, in his human nature and human will, know it's going to be difficult. He knows. See, we need to understand that Jesus was completely God and completely human. The God-man. He's completely human. And part of being human is that we don't desire to harm ourselves in any way. We don't want to. No normal human being wants to inflict pain on themselves, right? No normal person does. But if there's no other option, then we'll do it. So Jesus is here praying out to his Father. Father, if there's any other way... Is there any other way, Father? Is there any other way? Please. Nevertheless, not what I will, what you will. So in his human nature, Jesus knew it was difficult. He's asking the Father, there's any other way. And what did he hear? Nothing. Think about what Jesus is going through for a minute. Here's Jesus. Jesus is called the Prince of Life. He's the one that created life. He's the one that's sustaining and causing life to exist. And yet the very one that is sustaining and causing life to exist is actually going to experience the very ending of life. And to him, that's difficult. So he cries out to the Father, Is there any other way? to go through this suffering, the cup of your wrath, to be forsaken by you. See, Jesus is surrendering everything he has and submitting to the will of the Father, and that is precisely what we are called to do as Christians. Submit everything to him. See, prayer is not always meant to deliver us, but to strengthen us and align us with the will of our Father. Strengthen us and align us with the will of our Father. See, Jesus prayed to make sure he was in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? What did he tell the disciples? He says, verse 40, watch, could you not watch with me? Verse 41, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus got the strength he needed to go through this difficulty through prayer. He prayed. Not to get out of the difficulty, but to go through the difficulty. That's a strength he got. See, the reason Paul was able to endure all the stuff he went through was because he prayed a lot. That's how he was able to go through it. not avoid it, but go through it. right? Many of us have heard that, that acronym push, right? We all maybe even have the little uh, the bracelet, push. Pray until something happens, right? We all have it. We like it, we believe in it. It's like, yeah, pray until something happens. And that's a good exhortation for perseverance. We should pray until something happens. Well, the thing that may happen is pain and suffering. The thing that may happen is pain and suffering. (coughs) See, sometimes we just have to go through what we have to go through. And prayer's not going to get us out of it. Prayer's going to get us through it. Mother Teresa said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. (laughs) Powerful. Powerful. So are you really sure you wanted the will of God for your life? Are you really sure? Are our hearts and desires really aligned with His? Are they aligned with His? Maybe not. Maybe that's why our prayers are not answered. Because we haven't got to that place where we want to cry out, Lord, your will be done, not my will done. Again, most of my prayers are selfish, as are yours. And in one sense, they should be selfish because God tells us to go to him for everything, does he not? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests remain to God. So we're going to go to God for everything. We're called to do that. See? But when I hear about a young girl from Staten Island who steps out in front of a bus and commits suicide, my prayer life changes from, not my will be done, but thy will be done. It causes my prayer life to change. No longer am I focused about myself. I'm like, Lord, help these kids. That's what prayer does. See, when we hear things like that, we should be sorrowful and deeply distressed as Jesus was. And Jesus cried out, not as I will, but as you will. Amen? Verse 45, 47 rather. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now, was the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think I can now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels?' How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I said, Daily with you, teaching the temple, and you did not seize me? But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The second point I want to look at this morning. The next thing we think about doing the will of the Father is a demonic activity demonic activity. We have to remember that we have an adversary. Peter tells us be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, Matthew doesn't tell us in his description, but Luke tells us in his Gospel that Satan entered Judas. See, Judas is betraying Jesus here, but you know why? He opened opened himself up to Satan, and Satan entered Judas and caused all this to take place. See, Satan was trying to stop Jesus from doing the will of the Father by working through whom? Judas. That's what Satan was doing. Luke also tells us something very interesting in his gospel as well. Again, it's great to just read them. In the temptation we read in Luke's account, Luke says something very interesting like when, when, when Satan got done tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Listen to what he says in Luke 4, 12-13. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, listen, he departed from him until an opportune time. He got done tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He says, I'll be back. I'm waiting. I'm watching. I'm waiting until Jesus is vulnerable again. And then I'm going to strike. If you notice in the account, he was tempted three times in the wilderness and he's going here three times to pray. So many people believe that Satan was coming again while he's praying there in the garden and tempting him three times. And actually Mel Gibson does a pretty good job in that movie of seeing Satan there taunting him and tempting him in the garden. And we have to understand that Satan has been all over Jesus and trying to prevent him from doing the will of the Father. He used Herod, Herod at his birth, what? To try and kill him. He entered Peter, and Peter told Jesus, You're not going to the cross. You're not going to the cross, Jesus. And what did Peter say? Get behind me, Satan. And then we see Judas here. One final attempt to get Jesus from doing the will of the Father. See, we need to understand that when we look at the Scriptures, we, there's many examples of Satan hindering the will of God. He doesn't want it to take place. In the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel prayed, to God. He was reading the Bible. He wanted to understand the things that were taking place. So Daniel was a righteous man. He prayed to the Lord. And the Bible says that God answered Daniel immediately. Immediately the answer was on its way. Gabriel, he's going, you know, angels are messengers of God. And Gabriel gets the message, alright, I'm going to go talk to, to Daniel about this prayer. But then Gabriel tells us that as he was on the way to Daniel to, have the, to give him the answer prayer, he ran into the Prince of Persia. And they had this 21-day battle in the heavenlies between Gabriel and the Prince of Persia. And it wasn't final until Michael the archangel showed up and the prayer was delivered to Daniel. So we see this satanic battle going on in doing the will of the Lord. He doesn't want it to take place. Again, when Paul was writing to, the first, writing to the Thessalonians, he told them that I often wanted to come to your way, but you know what? Satan hindered me. So here's the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian that has ever lived. He wants to go to Thessalonica. Oh, certainly Satan can't stop Paul. But no, what does Paul say? Satan hindered me from getting there. Satan doesn't want you to do the will of the Lord. He wants to stop you from doing the will of the Lord. He's trying to use Judas here to stop Jesus from doing the will of the Lord. He's coming against us. So we have to understand at times... That it may not be our lack of faith or a lack of prayer life that's hindering us from doing the will of the Father. It may be Satan and his demons that are hindering us. They may be coming against you. Again, I was talking to my wife about the girl who jumped in front of the bus in Newdorp. The first thing she said, that's demonic. It's demonic. Who does that? Tragic. See, I believe when Satan hinders us and stops us from doing the will of the Father... He's probably laughing at us. He gets you discouraged. You can't do anything. The Bible says he's accuser of the brethren. You know that. And who knows? Maybe when we give up because of doing the will of the Lord is too difficult, he goes before God and says, "See, I told you they're all quitters. I told you, Lord, Bobby's a quitter. He's a quitter, Bob. He's a quitter, God. He don't want to do your will. He wants his own will to be done." See, what does Satan do here? He tried to get everything to come against Jesus. He got Judas to bring everyone out against Jesus. A whole multitude came with uh, clubs, the priests. Everybody's coming out against Jesus. He got Peter to once again resort to the flesh, pulling out his sword, going to cough the high priest's ear. And what else did Judas do? Satan, through him. He got all the disciples to flee Jesus. Look at verse 56. Jesus is left all alone. All because Satan working through Jesus, Judas. Think about that now. Here's Jesus in the garden. Everybody's come against him. It was probably only a couple hours earlier that all the disciples, with Peter's uh, thrust, will never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus. If I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not leave. I won't go anywhere, Jesus. We're not going anywhere. They all sat together. Ten verses later, what happened? What did Satan do? They're all gone. They all left. They all abandoned Jesus. Every one of them. They flee. And they failed because why? They failed to pray. What did Jesus tell them to do? Pray. Are we going to allow Satan to hinder us from doing the will of the Father? Are we going to? Or will we cry out and be like Jesus and say, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus told us, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Peter told us, be sober, be vigilant. Paul told us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who are we going to be? Jesus stood. The disciples fled. Judas betrayed. What will we be? John the Baptist wouldn't stop preaching and it cost him his head he wanted to do the will of the Lord no matter what he spoke up against unrighteousness and it cost him his head what about us? what are we going to do today? many of us are like myself we're old and wrinkly (laughs) but are we going to roll over and play dead as the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking we we devour are we just going to roll over and play dead because you're old? is that what it is? Caleb was 85 years old, and he said he was still as strong as the, as the day the Lord brought him into the promised land. So 85 years old, what did Caleb say? He says, I still want to fight, Lord. I still want to fight. Abraham did not consider his own body dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, age didn't matter to Abraham. Lord, you're still going to work. You're going to do the work. Anna was very old, Yes, she still went to the temple daily to pray, even though she was old. She went to the, daily, the temple to pray, even though she was older. John, the apostle, was probably in his 90s when he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he was able to say, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. At 90 years old. And John, tradition tells us, that Domitian tried to silence him by boiling him in oil, and because John didn't boil, he vanquished him to Patmos. But yet, at this 90-year-old man put to forced labor on this island was still given the book of Revelation to write at 90 years old. See, we can act all if we want to or we can say, God, I want your will until the day I die. God, I want your will until the day that I die. And the final point this morning. There is no other way. There is no other way. When Jesus asked the Father, if there's any other way, all he heard was what? Silence. In other words, there was no other way. Jesus had to suffer all that he went through for us. He had to go through it, and he willingly went through it for us. Jesus suffered for us. He went and did the Father's will for you and I. God the Father would have never allowed His Son to go through all that He went through if there was some other way. He would never have allowed it. So Jesus' pain is our gain. His pain is our gain. See, without Jesus doing the will of the Father, there would be no way of salvation. Nobody could enter into heaven. Nobody. Not one. You'll never get to heaven other than Jesus Christ and Him alone. See, if Jesus did not die to self and go through all he went through in doing the will of the Father, all of us would die in our sins and be justly condemned to hell, separated from God. There was no other way. There was no other way to get to heaven, folks. No other way, just Jesus. See, any other religious system that tells you there's another way to heaven is a lie, end of the devil. There's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ and him alone and his death on the cross for our sins. It's the only way. That's it. Good works isn't going to do it. Religion isn't going to do it. Nothing but Jesus Christ and him alone. It's the only way. Jesus is the only one who can pay the debt to the Father. And we we need to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. See, Jesus, I want your will to be done in my life, not mine. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. So he saw that Jesus put himself through tremendous agony in doing the will of the Father. But are we willing to put ourselves through tremendous agony in doing the will of the Father? Will we do it? Have we thought about it? Will we think about it? See, Jesus knew there was a difficult price to pay. He knew that. But he also looked to the reward. He also looked to the reward. Yes, the cost was difficult, but the reward made it worth it. Amen? Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily snares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the God. Right hand of God. See, Jesus looked through the cross and saw the reward, and the reward was you and I. And he said, I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. He saw our souls on the other side of the cross. He says, I'll die for them, Lord. I'll die for them. He saw the reward. And I hope we see the same things. That through our suffering and agony and doing the will of the Lord, that there is a reward. There are rewards. You may lead somebody to Christ. You may be somebody. You may help somebody in the name of Jesus. There's rewards in doing the will of the Lord. You may be the only, one person who finally is able to witness that person and get them to receive Jesus. Because maybe you didn't compromise your life. You held strong. You talk about Jesus and they see you going through it. And you stay strong. Then they'll be like, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. But is it worth it for our kids? Are we going to be examples of Jesus for our children? I think about that often with Caleb. i got to be an example. i got to be an example. It's so very important. But Jesus is our ultimate example of doing the will of the Father. He humbled himself and came to earth as a human. Jesus was rich, though he became poor for our sake. Jesus knew no sin, but yet he made with sin for us. Jesus tasted death for all of us, which is the exact opposite of his nature. Jesus gave up everything he could in fulfilling the will of the Father. Everything he gave it up, he gave up everything for you and I because he loved us so very much. So I started asking this morning, Who really wants to do the will of the Lord? Amen, Amen. Father. We come before you, Lord. We thank you for this day, Lord, and for who you are, Lord. And I do pray that you would pierce our hearts and speak to our hearts, Father, Lord. That we would have a desire to do your will, Lord. Lord, it may be stressful exceedingly sorrowful, Lord, but you are worth it, Lord, to see the glory of God on this island, the glory of God in our lives, Lord, to see people come to know you and love you, Lord. Lord, and just don't let Satan hinder us, Lord, encourage us, Lord, exhort us, Lord. Lord, I just pray you be with us all this morning, Father. Lord, that we would have a heart to do your will, Lord, that we would cry out, not as I will, but as you will, Lord, that we would hear that that call, Lord God, that we just want to do your will, Lord. We believe in it, Lord. We believe in who you are and what you've done, Lord. We love your example, Jesus, that you went to the cross for us. And again, I just want to ask anybody here this morning, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today's the day. You've given a, a picture of what he's gone through for you. He didn't have to go through us, but he chose to go through all that to die on the cross for our sins. And he did it because there's no other way to heaven. You need to receive Jesus personally, make him your Lord, your Savior. Anybody here today want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And have the Holy Spirit come inside you, give you new desires, a new heart, have hope, love, peace, joy, all those things in your heart that come through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You get to live for Jesus the rest of your life, and there's no greater way to live. Amen? Anybody here want to receive Jesus? Make him your Savior. Bible's clear. Anybody who receives him becomes a child of God. You become a child of God by receiving Jesus. His death, his burial, resurrection, the gospel. Father, we come before you, Lord, we thank you for everyone here, Lord, who knows you and believes in you, Lord. If maybe some are confused, Lord, I just pray you work in their lives, Lord. They would really understand, Lord, how much you love them. And that you died on a cross for their sins because you love us so much, Lord. Infinitely love us, Lord God. You have such great love for us, Lord God. Lord, you wanted to take away all of our sin, Lord. All of the things we've done wrong, Lord God. You're a forgiving God. You're a loving God. You wanted to do it, Lord. We thank you for that, that you love us, to want to make us right, Lord. So, Lord, go before us, Lord, And I do pray we meditate on these things, Lord, and speak them into our hearts, Father. That we would be like you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.